All the teaching is behind us. Five discourses in Matthew, and the last one was the Olivet Discourse. But before you hear this passage, you need to understand that this passage is given different uh, points of views in not only Matthew, Mark, but also John. And so the way you do it is you read them all three together and you get a complete picture of what happened. And where they differ is not really a difference, it complements, it completes the picture. For example, you will notice that in some of the accounts, the house is that of Simon the leper. Obviously, he's not a leper because lepers are people who've got to stay way out of town and let you know when they come near. He was a leper, and he's considered still to be that one that had leprosy. It also, you also note that the person who they're giving the supper in honor of, as you read all three parallel accounts, is Lazarus. Lazarus has been raised from the dead after being dead four days. And Lazarus' sisters are there, Mary and Martha. And Martha is not really mentioned, but Mary is mentioned as pouring this alabaster full of of perfume on Jesus' feet. So putting that all together, that a lot of commentaries, a lot of scholars believe that Simon the leper was Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' father. And this was a family. And so what we have here is a great celebration, that they're celebrating how good God has been to all of them in all ways. So with that in mind, let's read Matthew 26, 1 and following. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, all of that discourse, he said to his disciples, as you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they plotted to arrest Jesus in some sly way and to kill him. But not during the feast, they said, for there may be a riot among the people. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why the waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for my burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out to him thirty silver coins. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. The word of God to God's people. Let's pray. Father, give us eyes to see the truth and ears to hear the truth and wills that will respond to it, that you'll free us from our sin, give us hope, help us to love and adore you with all of our hearts. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
you know, shopping in some ways has gotten a little easier. You can go on the internet and say you want to buy something and you can compare it to other products. Like if you're car shopping, you can put in there a Honda Pilot and a Toyota Highlander and a Ford Explorer and they will give you the dimensions and the, the size engine and the braking, the braking rate and they'll give you uh, the towing package and they'll give you the price and all of that and you can just compare all you want to. Or you can compare you know, vacuum cleaners if you didn't get your wife anything for Valentine's Day. Or you can compare mixers or whatever you want, you can compare it. Well, that's what this passage does, is, is Matthew throws down in front of us people that we can compare. We can compare Mary and Judas. We can compare the disciples and Jesus' response. We can compare anything we want in this passage. But I want us to look at several things. I want us to compare, uh, the first of all, I want us to compare the difference between a plan and a plot. And then I want us to compare a beautiful thing to a wasteful thing. And then I want us to compare... Love for Jesus versus love for money. All of them clearly in the passage. First, I want us to compare a plan and a plot. Jesus has a plan from all eternity. And it starts off saying that Jesus tells his people it's only two days away, the Passover, the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. And you have this plan that Jesus is telling them, and he's repeated again, we'll see that later. And he's predicting or saying clearly what's going to happen because his hour has come and he's walking according to the plan of God. And then right after the plan of God is listed there clearly, it says, Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled together at the place of the high priest whose name was Caiaphas, and they plotted together. Every word in that sentence is really important. They plotted together. That's when we read Psalm 2. That uh, how foolish are the kings of the earth to gather themselves together and plot against the Lord and his anointed. They are plotting against God, against the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're planning to not only arrest him, but to arrest him slyly or your translation might say shrewdly, or wickedly, or I mean, that word carries with it, you know, it's not going to be your ordinary arrest. We've got to figure out a way to, to do that. And they hadn't come up with one yet. And so they're planning. And the only thing they've decided to not do is we're not going to do it during the Passover. Because if we do it, there's enough Jewish people here who have been swayed by this man or follow him will have a riot on their hand. And the one that sits in the heaven laughs. That God laughs. You know, the old saying goes, is you want to hear God laugh, tell him your plans. You know, or tell him your wicked plans. Really, he laughs. He scoffs at them. And the one thing that they decided they weren't going to do is the very thing that they ended up doing arresting Jesus during the Passover. 
God had planned. God had foretold. This is the fourth time that Jesus has told them that he's going to Jerusalem. He's going to be handed over. He's going to be crucified, and he'll rise again. He did it in Matthew 16, verse 21, Matthew 17, verse 22, and Matthew 20, verse 18. And every time, it seems like it just went over their head. They didn't seem to grasp it. We'll see that one person did, but they just didn't seem to get it. But Jesus clearly taught that what was going to happen during this week of Passover was going to be he's going to be handed over, and he's going to be crucified, and he's going to be killed, and he's going to be buried and rise again. And what you need to remember out of that is this is all happening according to God's plan. God's sovereign plan from all eternity. The danger for us is to be sentimental about this passage and to say, look at what tragically happens to Jesus in the next few chapters. Look at what these evil people do and overlook the fact that this is no accident, this is no tragedy, this is actually the plan of God being enacted in our world. Sometimes we think of, you know, the passion of Jesus and these last week of Jesus is kind of like this bad thing happened, but God, you know, eventually redeemed it and used the cross for something good. You know, he took what happened tragically and accidentally, and he used it as good. And I began to think about things that were uh, created accidentally. And, you know, there's a lot of amazing things created accidentally like super glue, cornflakes, the microwave, the x-ray machine. What about the matchstick? John Walker accidentally got a stick coated with some chemicals, and he rubbed it across the hearth, and it caught on fire, and he, well, wow, I invented the matches. Now, what about uh, Wilson Great Batch? who was an engineer at the University of Buffalo who accidentally invented the pacemaker. They were trying to invent a machine that would listen to the heartbeat, and they accidentally used the wrong transmitter and discovered that instead of recording the beat, it actually gave off an electrical impulse that changed the beat of the heart. And in 1958, they decided it was worth trying, and they put it into a dog's heart, controlled its heartbeat, and then it became available to humans. 1928, Dr. Alexander Fleming was not intending to revolutionize medicine, but he did because he was working with antibiotics, and he was working with staphylococcus uh, infection, and he accidentally left for two weeks or left its petri dish for two weeks, and when he came back, there was a mole growing around it that prevented it from spreading, and he invented Penicillin accidentally. Great things happen by accident, but Jesus' death is no accident. It's planned before the foundation of the world. That God was working his sovereign will. That God ordained it, and these people freely of their own accord did it, but when they did it, they were acting out what God had planned. It's like the book of Genesis would say when Joseph was standing before his brother, you meant it for evil when you sold me and 
when I was cast into the prison and Potiphar's wife tried to seduce me and a baker and a candlestick maker forgot me. All of that bad stuff happened, but God meant it for good. I think we understand that Jesus' life was meant for good. The good shepherd would lay down his life for his friends, that every moment and every day and every event was ordained by him. And ours are too. You know, I think we just need to let that sit in every now and then. Ours are too. Not just the good things. You know, we, we say, man, God is so good. God is good all the time. And our steps are ordered providentially by God's wisdom and his goodness for the glory of his name and the lives of his people. And we need to rejoice in that. That God has not forgotten us. Where else would we rather be than in the hands of God? Our time's right there. The hymn writer said, Our times are in thy hand, O God. We wish them there. Our lives are sold, are all. We leave them entirely to your care. Our times are in thy hand, whatever they may be, pleasing or painful, dark or bright, as best may seem to thee. Our times are in thy hand. Why should we doubt or fear? A father's hand will never cause his child a needless tear. Our times are in thy hand, Jesus the crucified, whose hand your many sins have pierced, is now our guard and guide. You see, there's a difference in the plot of man and the plans of God. And we take comfort that a good God plans our steps. There's a difference in when you compare beautiful things to wasteful things. Mary comes into the dinner and she has this alabaster jar of, of perfume. It's in, in an alabaster jar. That's a jar probably made out of something like white marble with a thin neck. And it contains in it a... a a nard, a, a strong perfume that's, that's gathered from the Himalaya mountains, so it's hard to get, it's hard to transport. By the time you buy it, it's real expensive. And it's, it's kind of like used only for burials, so it's for special occasion. And for most people, most of the time, it would be sealed, and they would take out a dab at a time and a dab at a time. But she broke the neck of this thing and poured the whole amount on Jesus, and the aroma filled the room. And just to give you, this wasn't, you know, uh, White Shoulders from Shelby or Midnight Passion from, from Mount Bio or something like that. This was expensive stuff. This was $30,000 worth of perfume poured on Jesus. And what happened? Everybody in the room thought, wow, why didn't I think of that? No. Everybody in the room said, why did she do that? Why did she waste all of that money? That money could have been spent on the poor. That, that just wasted. And Lazarus, the thief who held the money, began to probably think in his hand, what I could do with that money? And they thought it was wasted. Have you ever seen a big gift and thought it was wasted. I'm going to probably get some pushback on this illustration by some of you football lovers. 
but I was at a football game, and it was Ole Miss uh, LSU at Oxford. And the place was crowded, you know, I think uh, uh, Ole Miss won. But anyway, at halftime, they had a, an award given to some doctor who had given millions of dollars to the athletic department. And I thought and probably said, what a waste. I love football. I love college football. But if you had $2 million, $3 million, would you give it to an athletic department to put a building there with your name on it? That's what they were thinking. What a waste. We could have used that money for something else. The poor, and Jesus says this, the poor you'll have with you always, but you won't have me with you always. He wasn't undermining the contribution of money given to in poverty. We're to do that. We saw that several weeks ago. The, the book of Proverbs talks about our care for the poor and, and how we leave the edges of the field, talk about the poor is able to, to harvest around the edges. But Jesus is saying right now the most important expenditure of that money is to anoint me for my burial. And she has done a beautiful thing. He's using a different word than you would expect. In the Old Testament, wouldn't you expect the image to be of something like an incense aroma is received, speaking anthropomorphically, received into the nostrils of God? And he doesn't say that. He says this is a beautiful thing, seeing Mary over there pouring out all her wealth and tears on this man because she loves him is a beautiful thing. Not everybody sees that. I was reading and listening to Derek Thomas this week on this passage or another parallel passage, and he talked about when he finished the university. I think he just leaves it there. When I finished university, he said, when I finished university, I decided God was calling me into the ministry. And he said, I remember going to tell my dad that, Dad, I majored in mathematics, but I really believe God has called me to uh, be a full-time servant in some way. And his dad's response was, what a waste. What a waste. That's encouragement. What about somebody like um, Burns? Burns was instrumental in starting the the, revolu the revolution, the uh, revival in Scotland in the 19th century named William Burns. And uh, after the revival kind of had calmed down, it said that he could have supplied any pulpit in Scotland because of his name, but he decided that God had called him to go to, to China. And he left everything that he could have had for China, a difficult, frustrating, often thankless life of ministry. Years later, after his death and after his things were collected and sent back home, they fit in one box. And it says, they opened the box, found it to contain two shirts, a pair of trousers, his Bible, one other book, a Chinese flag. Not much to show for a life, or was it? What did Christ think of a life poured out like perfume for him? You see, 
everybody seemed to be missing the idea that Jesus was going to Jerusalem to be arrested and crucified and buried, except Mary. Except Mary. Mary seemed to get the whole plan. She seemed to have understood the plan of God from all eternity. Here's what one writer says. Perhaps Mary did what she did unwittingly, not understanding the significance of the event, but that does not fit the context of the story. This was not a meaningless act. She was an amazingly perceptive woman, and the only way to appreciate what she did is to recognize that she alone of all the followers of Christ understood that he was about to give his life for us on the cross. Jesus had tried to explain his death to all of them, as I pointed out earlier, but the disciples did not understand. In fact, they were still fighting over them who would be the greatest. Only Mary understood, and she had for some time. And now she poured out her perfume to show Jesus that she understood what he was about to do and loved him for doing it. Mary understood that Jesus was going to die like a criminal. Criminals aren't anointed, and so she was making sure he was anointed before he died. How did she know? The real answer would be God revealed it to her, but how did he reveal it to her and to not anybody else? Because she was always at the feet of Jesus. Every time you see Mary and Martha, they're they're doing something at the house Martha's in the kitchen and she's fixing lunch and and she comes out and she's mad and she tells Jesus you know tell Mary to do something and Jesus says that Martha only one thing is needed in other words does that point forward to one thing's needed to hear the word of God or all I need is a sandwich you know one thing it probably points to one thing is needed is the word of God and Mary has chosen the better And then when Lazarus dies, Martha comes out and says, where were you? Where were you? And Jesus answers her. But Mary comes out and she falls at his feet. If you had only been here. She understood that he was the resurrection and the life. Because she had made a habit of listening to his word and believing it. Where do we learn the mind of Christ? In the word of God that by his spirit, it says in Psalm 25, the Lord confides, gives his secrets to those who fear him. As we read the word of God in a reverent way, God confides, he gives us an image of himself, of his heart, of his attributes, and we begin to understand things. And we miss it because we don't spend time there. Isn't that right? Donald Gray Barnhouse was a great preacher in and of himself, but he was traveling on a, on a train as a young man, and uh, he was reading the paper, and he realized the, the preacher that was going to speak at their next stop was reading his Bible. And Barnhouse said, you know, I really wished I knew the Bible like you did. And the preacher looked up and said, you know, you're not going to learn the Bible by reading the paper. And Barnhouse said, it took a little while, but he realized, yeah, I spend more time in the paper than I do in the Word. And that changed 
And Barnhouse began to be used mightily by the Lord because the Lord shares himself with those who fear him. So Mary understood and did that beautiful thing. If we're going to walk in beautiful ways, we have to be in his word and walk therein. The last thing I want us to see is not only do we need to compare a plan and a plot, a beautiful thing and a wasted thing, but let's look at Mary's love for Jesus and Judas's love for money. Judas is kind of introduced here as after Mary does that, it's almost as if the lights come on in his mind. That in order to follow Jesus is not going to enrich me, it's going to cost me. For some reason, in his mind, finally, instead of seeing and understanding what Jesus had done and said all of those years he was with him, he watched all the miracles, he heard all the discourses, he went out on the mission and everything else. Instead of those things taking root in his heart and bringing forth godliness, they took root in his heart and they brought forth sinfulness. Several commentaries mention the fact that Judas realized I've wasted three years following this guy. He's not going to be king. James and John aren't going to sit on his left and his right. He's not going to institute a kingdom and overthrow Rome. What he's going to do is die, and I've wasted three years of good business opportunity. And I'm going to try to get it back. And they say that Commentators and people say that what happened is he let that grow in his heart so that he loved money more than he loved Jesus. And instead of giving to Jesus, he tried to make Jesus useful for him. He treated Jesus like a commodity. He treated Jesus like a, a coin. I think, though, that Judas was something else. Judas was an embodiment of a truth that Jesus had warned about in the Sermon on the Mount. A man cannot serve both God and money, for he will love the one and hate the other. Did Judas despise, tone the word down, hate Jesus? What do you call it when you take 30 pieces of silver as a way in which you're going to identify a person that's going to be arrested and killed? You're not ambivalent about him. You can't love God and money, and he loved money. This passage, I don't think, though, is used to to say, okay, you need to give more, show where your love is, you know, and I think Christians do need to give more. And I speak to a very generous church. You super abundantly met above the budget, and you do every year. But statistically, if you look around in America, the average evangelical gives 2 or 3% of his income to the, to the Lord. Do we really love Jesus, or do we find him useful is he our savior or is he our commodity? You know, when Sarah and I got married, 
uh, there were a lot of things that I noticed about my life that didn't match her life. But the first thing, and I tell this to anybody I counsel, uh, marriage counseling, the first thing that I learned in my life was I wasn't very generous. And it didn't take long. The very first Christmas that we were married, she started saying, we got to buy gifts for all these people. And I said, why? You know, I grew up in a family. You got mom and dad something, and you drew your names for everybody else. And Sarah just, like Sarah, she's generous. And I can't tell you how many times I tell her that when I pass away, I don't want to be known as stingy. I want my kids to say dad was generous because that's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to have generous hearts. Go back and read Matthew chapter 6. It talks about a good eye. and a good eye, you see everything good. That word could be translated generous. Because Jesus is generous with his life. And when Jesus is seen as being generous and that he gave everything for you, then you become more generous. There was a missionary that took a, a man, businessman that took a vision trip to Korea. And he was with a missionary and they saw this strange thing on the side of the road. There was this older man and he was holding this, this single you know, what do you call it, plow, single blade plow, whatever you call that thing. But, and he was holding that in the reins, and, but in the harness was his son. And the businessman said, boy, they must really be poor people. And he said, yes, they are, but he said, those two men happen to be Christians. I'm reading this. When their church was being built, they were eager to give something towards it, but they had no money. They decided to sell their one and only ox and give the proceeds to the church. This spring, they're pulling the plow by themselves. The businessman was silent for moments, and then he said, that must have been a real sacrifice. The missionary said, they didn't call it that. They thought themselves fortunate that they had an ox to sell. You know, when you think about hymns that you need to close with, there are just so many. And so we don't want to close singing two, but I want to quote one and then we'll sing the other. When you listen to Francis Havergale's beautiful hymn of concentration, listen to what it says. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moment and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my king. My lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect and, and every power use as thou may choose. Take my will and make it thine, it shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is my own, it shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at thy feet its treasure store. That the passage isn't say God wants your money, God really wants you and me to serve him wholeheartedly and faithfully. Let's pray. Father, bless the preaching of your word, uh, bless the hearing thereof that people might love you and serve you faithfully, 
that people might see in us a generous spirit because we serve a gracious God who is willing to give up everything, that he who is rich became poor, that in his poverty that we might be made rich. And we pray that that might show that we have the riches of Christ. And we pray in his name alone. Amen.